Welcome to Well To Do. I'm Andy Lou, and I'm so excited to have our guest today, Curtis Stone, who is another fellow Aussie. Yes. And before we get into our podcast episode, I would like to thank Kylo, who is our sponsor for today's episode. Mm -hmm. They're an Australian nutrition brand, and they're also branching out into the US, just like us two Aussies have been. <laughs> and they look after every aspect from sleeping well to our hair, skin and nails. And all of the range have 15 to 20 grams worth of quality collagen in them. And the three aspects of health are great for gut health, hair, skin and nails and all the rest of it. But you know what is so important is understanding why I've got you on the show. Because when I looked at your long bio, I had to make myself a cup of tea, Curtis. <laughs> <laughs> and if I may say a little of the beautiful things about you, okay. I sat down to read this and... Of course, you do live in LA. You've been living here for 16 years with your beautiful mm -hmm. wife and two boys, but originally from Melbourne, so yep. am I. And now Great we're city. in this amazing restaurant, Gwen, who, if you would like to share this brand new news, you won a Michelin we, star. Yeah, just yesterday or two days ago. It feels yeah. like yesterday because we've been partying for two days, but um, yeah, very exciting. You're celebrating all the success. Yep. And some of the shows you've been on, you've been having guest appearance in, you know, Top Chef Masters, you're Emmy nominated Top Chef Junior, and you've done work with the NBC. You've got so much to celebrate, including your other restaurant. This isn't your first restaurant. You've got one in Beverly Hills. It's got mm -hmm. also one accolades. Yep. Do you want to keep telling me your bio? It's just endless, <laughs> isn't it? I'm just like scrolling away here. You know, I think there's so many things to celebrate about you, and I would encourage everyone to just have a look at who Curtis Stone is. I ran into you at Soho House in West Hollywood. That's how fancy we are, you guys. We just hang out at the best places. Well, you were having a meeting and so was I. But the funny thing is that when I was kind of running back towards from moving my car, I was like going, oh, hi, I know you. But I realised I didn't know you. But I knew you because you're everywhere in Australia and our Australian audience would have seen you on Coles ads as well. Right. Um, but everyone knows who Curtis Stone is. So without any further ado, we'll leave the introduction because... You don't need one, basically. And then we just had a hug over a handshake because that's what we do. Us yep. Aussies are very warm. And that beautiful sort of moment of going, well, you're an Aussie, you're in LA, let's be friends. Absolutely. And so because well-to-do is all about feeling well and all the things that you need to do to create an abundance of wellness, right. I wanted to sort of hone in on, I guess, what makes us Aussies feel so welcomed in LA and what is the drive for us? Like most people work for love, Oh, sorry, come here for work or love, but you ended up with both. But what right. brought you here and did it take courage to get here? I actually came here um, totally by accident. Okay. I was living in London, very, very happy. I had a um, great job and an apartment and a girlfriend. I was My whole life was quite complete. But I decided to have my 30th birthday in Las Vegas. Because oh, yeah. half my mates were Aussies and half of them were Brits. Yep. So I was like, right in the middle is America. Let's do, do a party there. Yeah. And just before... Uh, November, which is when my birthday was, I got this call to do a TV show called Take Home Chef. Yeah. Which was the silliest idea for a show I'd ever heard. But I was like, you know what? If you want to shoot it in LA, I could be available in November because I thought I'll get a free flight. They'll fly me over to LA and I'll do the thing and then I can go and have my party in Las Vegas and, and come home. So I did that and they picked the show up and I wasn't really expecting that to happen. Um, and we ended up doing 140 episodes of that TV show. So... I sort of just landed in LA and started working straight away and um, 
to be honest, didn't love the city. I sort of got here and I was like, oh, it's spread out and I didn't know anyone. And you have to drive everywhere. Right, and everything I'd left in London, I th sort of had left it temporarily. Yeah. But then LA's got that way of sort of getting its hands around you and um, one thing led to another and I'd been here for a couple of years working and um, I think it, at that point I sort of got someone to pack up my apartment for me and send over my stuff. And, yeah. Um, I, I still don't ever feel like I quite left London, but I clearly have. I've been yeah. here for for more than 15 years now, so. Um. Exactly, and this is this is it. But when you say it has this way of grabbing you, what mm. is that? Is it the enigmatic energy of the most talented people in the world, you know, all gravitating towards the city of angels, or? I just think it's the good weather. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. No, I think, look, it's, it's one true. of those, it's one of those places that is an exciting city to be in because there's always something going on. There's yep. always people, like you say, that come here for, for different reasons, but it's a creative joint. There's a lot of film right. uh, and music that gets made here. And, um, you know, I like to think it's a place that also has wonderful food now. Yeah. Um, wasn't always known for its food, but I think there really are great restaurants here in, in Los Angeles. And you're always half an hour from the beach and yeah. the weather is always unbelievably good. Yeah. So there's a lot to like. There's a lot of, it's, it's like a wellness sort of mecca of the world. Yeah. And on the great food, my goodness, I actually came here with a good friend of mine called Jamo or Jonathan Moran. Oh yeah. Yeah. So we dined here with a couple of friends and I was in absolute awe. I had no idea how good Gwen was going to be until I started eating. There was so much intention and conscious eating. And that's actually one of the reasons why I had to talk to you with my wellness audience, because obviously the way in which your food is prepared, mm -hmm. it's so thoughtful and it really is about taking time. And tell me about, because anything that takes a long time is always going to be good, right? So right. whether it's in relationships or whatever it is, like the longer it takes, the better it is and that's the true. longer it lasts. So tell me, the thought process is about, you know, letting the meats age and things like that. Tell me the wellness benefits. Sure. Well, I, I sort of think that, um, like all good things, you need a heartbeat, you know. And for Gwen, it really is our butcher shop because we are a full-service butcher shop, European-style butcher shop, but then, of course, a restaurant as well. Um, but the, the heartbeat of this place really is that because we, we go and we work with these small farmers and we find brilliantly produced meats. Um, and, you know, that really starts with the nitty-gritty, the breed, the feed, the age, the, the treatment of those animals. Yeah. And we obviously have a lot of respect um, and love for that process. And then we bring the meat in. So firstly, procuring great quality ingredients and then treating them the way that serves them the best, you know. So with beef, that's dry aging. With Wagyu, it's slightly different. With poultry, it's different again. So we sort of, I guess, depending on the product, we'll figure out how we can enhance it mm -hmm. you know and we might dry age something for 80 or 90 days you know so yeah hanging something in a locker which is dehydrating and losing volume you lose weight as you dry age of course it's a much more expensive way of doing right. it and a much slower way of doing it but it's healthy but it's good yeah and or it tastes good as well but what i was thinking is it's so healthy because we want everything fast we want everything yesterday mm -hmm. i mean they're even using chemicals to um quicken up the speed of how wheat is supposed to be dried, right. for example, and people are having reactions to that and they're probably, you know, not necessarily gluten intolerant, but they're intolerant to the chemicals that are creating this. So I was really in awe of how you really take the time yep. to prepare the meals, the food and the <clears> wellness <throat> aspect of that. So, And also the charcuterie, we make all of our own um, salamis and 
Cortellos and uh, prosciuttos. And I think, you know, some of that stuff, you hang for 18 months, yeah. you know, two years. Um, so it's a very slow process, but then you can do it the natural way where you're using salt as the, uh, the preservative rather than all of the other nasty stuff that can go into deli meats. Love that you say that because people have been told that, you know, salt is a bad thing, but mm. it's the processed version of the salt. You know, if we think about yeah. the derivative of the word salt, it comes from the phrase salts of the earth. Right. And salts of the earth is, you know, rich in minerals like magnesium and other things. So using salt, we're probably so deficient in magnesium, not just because of our sedentary lifestyles and the stress and everything, but also because we, we need the minerals from this food source that we've been told to stay away from. Right. So this natural process is an eye-opener for me. And that's why I was just so passionate about Gwen. I was also passionate about the story behind the knives that we got <laughs> served. So when the food came out, this yep. beautiful box also came out. Yes. You guys, it is absolutely stunning. This in itself looks antique. Is it an antique? It is box? actually, yeah. We, we get a lot of our stuff from flea markets and recycled um, pieces. I, I just, when I drink from a vintage teacup, I think about you know, the hundred years that it's been around for. Do you really? And all the different cups you of teas. You going on, well, the you know, stories. It, and... it feels so different yeah. than just getting something from a store. And, That's true. You know, so, yeah, I love it. And the same with these knives. So we, we ask people to choose their own weapon um, <laughs> when, they, when they have a, a steak. And we have different knives from different parts of the world that have yep. different meanings and reasons. And, um, yeah, they're, they're, they're all sort of... Uh, I sharpen them every night before service, so all we of make them? sure that they're all perfectly sharp. They're all sharpened every night. That's amazing. Yep. Wow. See, that's a full-time job in itself. Mm -hmm. So the choice, and again, the conscious, you know, choices that we make when we're consuming food is so important because, you know, a lot of people are addicted te to technology and gone are the days where we'd flip through a new idea or who magazine while we're eating. Now we're right. scrolling through our Instagram and everything as we're having meals, meal mm -hmm. times. That's our most you know, popular time. But this actually, this whole experience forces someone to be present. That's right. When they're eating. Yeah. So tell me the story about this because this has got something to do with your grandfather. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, what we did when we, we went looking for steak knives, because at the start you're like, oh, which steak knife should we choose? And I fell in love with so many of them. And I'm like, I want to give our customers the choice. And okay. we found these two brothers um, that have a brand called Bloodroot and they literally make the knives out of recycled steel. So they might find an old tractor or something around the property and then they'll make the, the blade out of that. Wow. There's a waiting list of a couple of years these days to buy one of those blades. This one could be a tractor. This has got some old aged wood. Exactly, yep. So there's that. We have, this is a Laguiole, which is a vintage French um, knife. Um, also another beautiful steak knife. This is with a bone handle. Um, so, you know, there's, we have things that are um, antlers from, from deer that, have, wow. that we've, we've used in the no shop. No part so goes to waste. It really doesn't. And it's a pretty cool, cool part to know the story behind even the knife. Well, I mean, I guess it's a Paleolithic sort of era type mm. where we use every part of everything that we, you know, consume. Right. Nothing going to waste. But being present, being conscious with our eating, and then the storytelling, which is so healing. So tell me about the influence of your grandparents, because I have to share sure. with you, I was I used to own a cooking school in Melbourne for people with food intolerances, oh, right? Wow. So they'd discover, oh, I'm now celiac, what do I do? And it's quite stressful. So mm. I would teach them about nutrition and how to cook some meals, just to get them a kickstart. But what happened was I realized where this passion came from. I used to always pretend that I was sick when I was little, when my Did grandma you? from Morocco would be coming to visit. And my mom would like 
check my forehead in the morning and she goes, you have to go to school, you haven't got a temperature. And I was like, oh, I'm so sick, it's my stomach. And she probably thought to herself at the time, oh, if there's ever a time to just leave my daughter at home, I'll just do it now because my mum's here. Right. So she would leave in the old Valiant down the driveway <laughs> and then I'd be like, yes. I'd get up because my grandmother would be cooking from scratch, which she right. taught herself in Morocco. God bless her. Her, um, her mum died in her arms when she was... 12 actually and she had to look after her four baby brothers and sisters and oh, teach wow. how to cook goodness. and everything so nothing went away she was an extremely talented lady and i wanted to learn from her so i'd walk to the kitchen all keeled over and going oh, margot her name was softer margot and then i was like and she goes she turned around and she would go oh shut up and sit down and watch i know you're not sick <laughs> she, she knew so she on. knew right and everything was from scratch. Yep. Do our grandparents have a huge influence on us when you know we're growing up in how we eat? And oh, for sure. Yeah. Look, I think there's there's not much in life more special than your granny. You know, like yeah. grandmas are always um, sweet, and they they don't have the stress of a mum or a dad. You know, because we're always, as parents, trying to like juggle and smuggle everything else and yes. I kind of feel like grandparents get the good bit without the without all the stress um, of, of being a parent but for me my grannies were both good cooks right totally they both different. were yeah one, one was a country cook Gwen um, grew up in Wood End and so her she, name was Gwen yep. this is why the restaurant's called Gwen exactly yep and she um, she lived on a farm and they had uh, they had, they ran animals she had a stove that was still heated by a wood fire um, you know, the hot water got heated by that same wood fire. So wow. I always remember it being really smoky and smelling fantastic. She loved lamb. She would always cook lamb. We cook a lot of that here as well. She also made this incredible shortbread uh, that I oh, remember as a kid. Oh, the shortbread, so, yeah. So good. Did you ever get in there and help? Is this how you yeah. started to learn? Not as much with Gwen, but with Maud, my other granny, mm -hmm. which I named um, my other restaurant after. I did cook with her a lot and mm -hmm. you know very simple she was from Yorkshire actually mm -hmm. so um, she would make this fudge which I've done a bit of research on later in life and turns out that it's a, a Scottish thing called tablet which sort of comes from up in that part of the world amazing um, but it's really really good and very sugary and sweet and as a, as a little kid I just loved it when she'd make it and she taught me how to make it um, and uh, yeah it was sort of you know those early formative years that you're learning from your 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 granny or your mum and um, and I think that it, it stays with you for sure. Well it certainly does like it's a meditative thing for sure and yeah. I think that's what I want to encourage you know my audience to remember to do that when we're cooking it takes us back to that time it keeps us present mm -hmm. and then we're enjoying that food so much better which is so great for wellness and just even digestion mm -hmm. um, but like tell me a little bit about your wife because she's a wellness buff as well she is she's uh she's into all of it and i learned little bits and pieces from her um i think you know her diet is very important you know and i love that because it's sort of it, I, she changes it too you know she does different things at different times which i always like that challenge yeah um, of, of suddenly having a um, a new wife to cook for well you uh, have to be i think not just varied with your diet but dynamic right you do you do. I mean, if you stop and think about it, it's what you put into your body and your body then uses that for its energy and for everything else. You, you know, heard it from Curtis well. Stone, everybody. You're now preaching to the choir. Well, the food's so important. Well, I always say that our nutrition is actually information to our DNA. It's right. not really just calories. Yeah. So this is, again, the fundamental philosophy behind your cooking and, you know, the experience of eating your food mm. is understanding where it comes from. Yeah. And then 
having the skill set to be able to, because that only gets you halfway, getting right. good ingredients. And okay. then it's what you do with it from, from the chef's perspective, right? So how okay. do you apply fire or heat or steam or poach or whatever, whatever cooking technique you want to sort of um, use? Or maybe you want to leave an ingredient raw, or maybe you want to pickle, or you want to preserve or ferment. And all of these things that have sort so of been inspired. developed over over centuries, um, you know, we have at our fingertips to, to play with. So can you give us like three hot tips um, oh, yeah. on like pickling or fermenting or what did you say, how you want to, what did you say smoke or fire or whatever it was? Yeah, absolutely. So they're all ways of um, preserving food, right. you know, for the most part. And yeah. it probably comes from a day when there wasn't refrigerators or freezers and yeah. it was like, well, I've got this cabbage now, but I need to eat it in six months time. Well, I love this because I don't know if our viewers know this, but and our listeners, for example, when you're preserving foods, there are usually numbers in brackets on the back of the food packet, right? right? And if you had to look up that number, you'd probably be mortified, right? Yeah. That's why they're in numbers, they're disguised. But there are natural ways, as you say, and some of them are. Well, look, you can f if you want to buy a fermenting jar, this sounds a little um, out there, but okay. it's a lot of fun. Your and wife's going to love this. You can have like little fermenting, <laughs> fermenting jars happening. Um, I make my own kimchi, you know, Again, we're spoilt by culture and what it's given us over the years. So you can sort of look to all of these different cultures and see what different people have done and out of necessity, but then you can use that to bring in spice and to bring in salt and sour and sweet and bitter. Some of those words, for instance, almost sound like, oh, bitter, I don't like bitter. Well, no, bitter plays a part. And if, right. as, as long as you use it carefully, um, it can be a brilliant um, part of do you think maybe people's palates have changed because of the preservatives and all of the stuff that we've ruined, the, you know, coating of our tongue and our taste is different now because... Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's so interesting because some people are, oh, I don't like salty or I'm a sweet tooth or I don't mm. like bitter or whatever it is. But would you say that we could all learn to love it? <laughs> oh, absolutely. And I think even, even the processed foods, will they'll actually create candies and lollies that, that are spe specifically sour. Right, so even even the even the processed foods will will still follow what we know and what we um, the differences that you can find on your palate. You know, yeah. so so I actually think the more you experience, the more you grow, and the more you learn, and and that's the important part. It's very easy to look at kids and be like, oh well, they're just kids. So I'll just give them buttered pasta because that's all they like. And then I have oh, this conversation all the time with parents where they're like, how do I stop my kids from eating hot dogs? And I'm like, don't buy them. I don't buy hot dogs. Yeah. And my kids don't eat hot dogs because yeah. there's no hot dogs to eat. So. Well, I always say it's not even a food. So I educate my son, Bodhi, and I go, well, if we had to actually look at how that was processed, you'd realise that's not a food source. It's just a chemical now. Right. Because there's no nutrition in it, right? Yep. So they've never had it before? You've just never bought it and they've never had it? Oh, look, I'm not crazy about it. I do let my kids, you know, I don't want to make them these unicorns that don't experience the world. You know, they should be able to go to a movie with their mates and eat some snacks and candies and whatever. <laughs> but I think for the most part, what you want to do is keep a good home and you want to eat yep. and cook yourself. Because exactly. we fall into this trap. People think it all the time with food delivery. And as a guy that runs a restaurant, mm. you don't want to eat from a restaurant seven nights a week because we do use a lot of butter. We do use a lot of salt. We do use a lot of um, food. It's meant to be a special occasion. It is it's not meant occasion. to be your your day to day. You yeah. Know? And it is a special occasion. So on that, I remember though a time when my son Bodhi, I let him have a birthday cake with all the preservatives and artificial colours and things like that mm. for the first time. I think he was six years old. 
And I said, yeah, go ahead, because I used to fill him up before he would get to the birthday parties, so he'd be <laughs> full. Smart. Yeah. And then I'd like, go ahead, do whatever you want at Quaid's birthday party. And I remember driving him home and he had his head hanging out the window going, mum, I promise I'll never do this again. <laughs> and he did feel sick. And the thing is, it was like one of those moments where if he was perhaps a teenager, he might be doing that with alcohol one day. It's kind of like, I told you so, let him try it, never doing it again. Right. And he doesn't. So, okay. Let me know about an interesting story, mm -hmm. a life-changing story that could be a mentor or it could be somebody that came into dine where you changed their life. Is there something that really stands out for you during your career? Oh, um, God, I've had so many cool memories and, and moments in my career because I've, I've been lucky. I've traveled the world and I've gotten to see all sorts of things and meet different people. Yeah. You know, I think the first time I ever met anyone that was just a hundred percent obsessed with what they did was when I met Marco Pierre White. Okay. Because he, he was an incredible chef, but he worked his ass off and it was that work ethic and that desire for yeah. perfection that just drove him, you know, and, and, and all he wanted to do and talk about was food and that was it. And that's all he cared about. Yeah. And he just worked super hard. And I think I first met him and I was like, this will be fun. But you don't think it'll be fun forever. You just, like, it'll be fun to do it for a day, right? Or for yeah. a week or whatever. But then <laughs> once you start doing it, you find that obsession building within yourself. And, and, and I don't know, it's sort of, I think, to me, it's always been much more than food. It's been, it's been um, a lifestyle. And, and I think when, when I first met Marco, I was like, oh, it was just infectious. And it was... Yeah. And look, he ran a really tight kitchen. And if I told you some stories, you'd probably be like, "Oh my goodness, isn't that, um, isn't that illegal?" Or is, you know, especially in today's world, um, there, there was there wasn't much that happened back then. Um, you know, it's twenty five years ago, I suppose. So, well, hang on, what is one of the illegal things that like? Well, look, just in the way that you treat your staff these days, oh, right. and the way that he would talk and and treat us, he got away with it. Yeah. Well, we loved it. Yeah. We wanted it. We wanted a trainer. We wanted a teacher. We wanted a chef who was Committed. super disciplined yeah. and didn't accept any nonsense. Except accepted nothing but perfection. And if it wasn't perfection, it got thrown in the garbage. Wow. Where, if, where these days, if you did that to someone, they'd be like, "Oh, that hurt my feelings." <laughs> It didn't hurt our feelings. We actually loved it because we thrived on it and it made us good. You yeah. know? So I don't know. I've got a lot to say about it. But um, I think uh, when, when you're lucky enough to find somebody that has that level of passion, yeah. then suddenly you're like, well, I'm all in. Yeah. And the committed ones are often crazy. They're geniuses. Yeah. His ears are definitely burning now that we're talking about him, right? <laughs> I'm so grateful for everything that he gave me and taught me over the years. And it probably didn't feel great all of the time, but... Um, because sometimes disappointment doesn't feel great. Yeah. You know, sometimes you feel like you haven't achieved what you needed to achieve. But I think after going through that for years, then it, it does give you the ability to achieve, which is pretty cool. Well, you are a perfectionist, Curtis. And I think that the Michelin star that was awarded to you was like, oh my gosh, finally, because it was well-deserved. And I think just needs to hurry up and you need a few more now. Like, <laughs> hopefully they're going to start realising. Um, you know, would you call yourself a perfectionist? Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I'm easygoing. I'm an Aussie. I have yeah. that sort of easygoing mentality. Yeah. But at the same time, if we're going to do something, then I want to do it right. Do it and, properly. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's been such a joy getting to know you and understanding your story here on Well To Do. It's very healing for our listeners to understand 
who we are, what makes us, what drives us, and hopefully inspired a whole bunch of people. So thank you so much. I've actually got a copy of my book to give to you and, yes. and your wife and some packages from Kylo. But if you loved everything that we've been talking about, make sure you follow Curtis Stone and Gwen and anything else that they can stay in contact with. Uh, Maud is our other little restaurant in Beverly Hills. So uh, even better than following us, come and have dinner with us. We'd love to see you. Hope to see you there and thank you so much.